0: 26th, 2021, this is the Hermetic Hour, I'm your host, folk Runyon, and tonight we explore the place of hermetic and hermetic magicians in the coming futurist society, influenced and augmented by genetic engineering, nanotech, computer technology, artificial intelligence, and geodynamics. We will refer to our broadcasts over the past few years dealing with these superhumanizing or dehumanizing texts and text systems, predicted by science fiction authors such as A.E. Van Vogt, L. Ron Hubbard, Isaac Asimov, and Frank Herbert. We will consult current works on the subject by Michio Kaku and Mark Zimmer. We will suggest that much of this futurism derives from hermetic philosophy, and therefore, magicians should embrace it, providing we can become more than human, rather than a swarm of subhuman drones in a hive. So, if you want to be slams, fans of the slams, are today's futurists, by the way, then tune in with us, and we'll open the gate for you. Now, the 1950s television prophet Criswell said, We are all interested in the future, because that is where we will spend the rest of our lives. Well, as regular regular listeners to the Hermetic Hour, we're aware futurism and the 20th century science fiction that inspired it and predicted it have been frequent topics on our broadcasts. The remarkable advances in technology, biology, cybernetics, physics, and electronics are rapidly bringing a world most of our sci-fi authors envisioned in a distant future into a 21st century reality. The future is here now. We are living in it. A few years ago, before the pandemic, the futurist movement, made up mostly of rich and privileged Ivy Leaguers, was predicting gene therapy to create babies who would grow up to be physical supermen and women. Microbiology and nanotech would give us telepathy, and enhanced brain power, gene gene editing, and cloning would free us from disease and give us immortality. There was only one problem with all this. Only the wealthy could afford it. We would have a society of the gifted super elite ruling the poor and downtrodden an accelerated mirror image of what we already have, a cabal of rich Ivy Leaguers lording it over a virtually enslaved middle class. However, in this case, the Ivy Leaguers were hoist on their own ultra-liberal petard. The sacred liberal conundrum, all men are created equal, rose to discredit their movement. Even Wikipedia turned against them. But they were saved by a Danish yogurt company that discovered a bacterium like acidophilus, which edited and spliced the human genome faster and cheaper than any previous method. The new process was called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, which is a tech jargon anagram that only a Ph.D. in genetics would understand. In any case, CRISPR got the futurists off the elitist hook, and now they are offering their utopia to everybody. Part of the utopia equation is the enhancement of the mind. Of course, the mind is a philosophical concept which most of the futurists don't believe in, so they make the same mistake that Crowley made with the Galatia, when he said that the spirits are all portions of the brain rather than aspects of the mind. But even so, their mechanical telepathic tendrils penetrating inward rather than outward nanotech tubes, as in the fictional slams, may achieve the same effect. Before we read Promethio Kaku's chapter on telepathy, Let's discuss the fictional prototype A.E. Van Vogt's Slans. The Slans, by the way, this, the Slan novel was published right after World War II and written during World War II. The Slans were the persecuted and outed survivors of an earlier race of mutant telepaths who had once been dominant on Earth. They had tendrils like antennas growing out of their foreheads, which they concealed in their hair. In the novel, they mostly struggled to survive. Of course, this is the origin of Blade Runner and several other science fiction stories. Michio Kaku was a fan of A.E. E. Van Vot. However, the telepathic antenna tendrils he described are inside the brain so let's read let's read uh from uh from michelle kaku's uh future of the mind page seventy five to seventy seven this is a section called Pri- privacy issues When hearing of mind-reading machines for the first time, the average person might be concerned about privacy. The idea that a machine concealed somewhere may be reading our intimate thoughts without our permission is unnerving. Human consciousness, as we have stressed, involves constantly running simulations of the future. In order for these simulations to be accurate, we sometimes imagine scenarios that weighed into immoral or illegal territory. But whether or not we act on these plans, we prefer to keep them private. For scientists, life would be easier if they could simply read people's thoughts from a distance using portable devices rather than using clumsy helmets or surgical opening of the skull. But the laws of physics make this exceedingly difficult. When I asked Dr. Nishimoto, who works in Dr. Gallant's Berkeley lab, about the question of privacy, he smiled and replied that radio signals degrade quite rapidly outside the brain. So these signals would be too diffuse and weak to make any sense to anyone standing more than a few feet away. In school, we learned about Newton's Laws uh, and that gravity diminishes as the square of the distance. So that if you doubt it, if you double your distance from a star, the gravity field diminishes by a factor of four. But magnetic fields diminish much faster square of the distance. Most of the signals decrease by a cube or a quartic of the distance. So if you double the distance from the MRI machine, the magnetic field goes down by a factor of 8 or more. Furthermore, there would be interference from the outside world, which would mask faint signals coming from the brain. This is one reason why scientists require strict laboratory conditions for their work, and even then they are able to extract only a few letters, words, and images from the thinking brain at any given time. The technology is not adequate... Uh, to record the avalanche of thoughts that often circulate in our brains as we simultaneously consider several letters, words, phrases, and sensory information. Uh, so, using these devices for mind reading is seen in the movies. Is not possible today, and it won't be for decades to come. However, since this book was since this book was written. Uh, and uh and and i think it was written in 2014 um uh since then that mind of skull stuff has has considerably improved um but it is highly unlikely that someone in the future finds a way to read thoughts at a distance there are still countermeasures you can take to keep your most important thoughts private. You might use a shield to block brain waves from entering the entering the wrong with the wrong hands. This can be done with something called a Faraday cage, invented by the great British physicist Michael Faraday in in 1836. And although the effect was first observed by Benjamin Franklin, basically electricity will rapidly disperse around the metal cage, uh, such that the electric field inside the cage is zero. Uh, today we call these things these cages a skiff. Um, to demonstrate this, physicists like myself have entered a metallic cage on which a huge electrical bolts are fired. Miraculously, we are unscathed. That is why airplanes can be hit by lightning bolts and not suffer damage, and why cable wires are covered with metallic threads. Similarly, a telepathy shield would consist of a thin, Metal foil placed around the brain and we were, <laughs> I think this is the origin of all that, those 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 tinfoil tin foil hats that people were wearing telepathy via nanoprobes and this is this we're getting down to, to we're talking about the the, the the slams tendrils telepathy via nanoprobes in the brain there is another way to partially solve the privacy issue as well as the difficulty of placing E- ECOG sensors into the brain. In the future, it may be possible to exploit nanotechnology, the ability to manipulate individual atoms to insert a web of nanoprobes into the brain that can tap into your thoughts. These nanoprobes might be made of carbon nanotubes which conduct electricity and are thin as the laws of atomic physics will allow. These nanotubes are made of individual carbon atoms arrayed in a tube a few molecules thick. They are subject to intense scientific, uh, of intense scientific interest and are expected in the coming decades to revolutionize the way scientists probe the brain. The nanotubes will be placed precisely
1: in the areas
0: of the brain devoted to certain activities, in order to convey speech and language, they would be placed in the left temporal lobes. And in order to be, uh, in order to process visual images, they would be placed in the thalamus and the, vis- and the visual cortex. Uh, motions would be sent by nanoprobes in uh, the amygdala and the limbic system. The signals from these nanoprobes would be sent to a small computer which would process the signals and wirelessly send the information to a server and then to the internet. Privacy issues would be partially solved since you would have, you would, com- you would completely control uh, when your thoughts are being sent over the cables of the internet. Radio signals can be detected by any bystander with a receiver, but electrical signals sent along a cable cannot. The problem of opening up the skull to use messy ECOG meshes is is also solved because the nano probes can be inserted via microsurgery. Um, some science fiction writers have conjectured that when babies are born in the future, these nanoprobes might be painlessly implanted so that, telepath- so that telepathy becomes a way of life for them. In a Star Trek, for example, implants are routinely placed into children of the Borg at birth so that they can be telepathically communicated com- communicate with others. These children cannot imagine a world where they does not exist they take it for granted that telepathy is the norm. Because these probes are tiny, they would be invisible to the outside world, um, invisible to the outside world, so there would be no social ostracism. And, of course, the slams, you know, have theirs on the outside, so they, they, they hit them under their hair. Although society might be repulsed by the idea of inserting probes permanently into the brain, these science fiction writers assume that people will get used to the idea because the probes will be so useful, just like test tube babies have been accepted by society today after the initial controversy surrounding them. Oh, okay. Now, that concludes that. And... Um, let me get back to Ronald. earlier in the chapter on telepathy Kaku mentions the language issue people think in their own language so the mental eavesdropper has to be fluent in the language he's surveilling to protect the privacy of their thoughts I suggest that future hermetic telepaths think, write, and converse in Latin Latin, by the way, has been modernized and it will adapt to any scientific, literary, or academic discourse. This would have protected Vaught's slats. And it will protect us in a a future police state where the thought police really can read minds. They will be like the World War II Japanese radio monitors trying to figure out Navajo fire commands. Do you remember the yeah, uh, out there, especially on Saipan, when when the American battleships are laying laying off on Saipan, and and the Navajos are uh, the Navajos are up on the beach uh, calling fire commands back to the back to the battleships in in, in Navajo, and and, uh, and the Japanese are, are, are listening to the to the radio, and and they can't figure out what you know what this is. Is the Navajos are really going you know they're 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 sitting on the on uh, on the walkie talkie going, Who oh, no no, who oh, no, oh, no, oh, no no, who no no and the battleships are blowing up these Japanese bunkers and and and, and the, the the Japanese radio monitors are going crazy. Uh, so so that's a good idea that we should all we should all start learning Latin. Modern modern Latin. And uh and and just like modern Hebrew medieval Hebrew that's the Hebrew we all have have seen. Mar- Medieval Hebrew was created on, a, on an Arabic grammar back back in the in the Middle Ages in the 1300s in Spain, and and, and then then in Israel they have modernized it so modern so Hebrew handles handles everything in a, in a modern technical world. Uh, Hebrew has been adapted to handle it, and it's the same thing with Latin. Latin has been updated, and it's something that a lot of a lot of people don't realize that back before the American Civil War back in the early 1800s the whole academic and and scientific community in those days they wrote their they wrote their papers and they gave their lectures and they and and they they did their did their college work and their their dissertations and everything in Latin, and it wasn't until the rise of nationalism that that Latin be, began to be replaced by by uh, the languages of the countries themselves. So uh, actually, uh, the whole world, the whole the whole civilized world would be better if we went back to Latin, but they're not going to. That, that it's, it's, it's not politically correct for him, but it, it would be great for us if we're going to become, uh, uh, um, you know, bionic super, uh, supermen, uh, homo technicus. Uh, if we're going to, then Latin should be our language, and it will also protect us. One of the very sad features of futurism is the search for free energy. Science has been promising coal fusion in various forms for decades, but no results have been forthcoming. Meanwhile, we are told by these same experts that climate change and pollution are destroying the environment. Industry is the villain, only American industry. Industry anywhere else is fine. Petroleum is another villain, mainly in America. The futurists are blind to the other uses and dependencies on petroleum over and beyond fuel and energy. Plastic is made out of petroleum. Our computers are made out of petroleum. Virtually everything, if you look around your house, almost everything you're you're, looking at is made out of petroleum. But they don't realize this. They're they're blind to it. Um, I might mention that Mark Zimmer's book, State of Science, 2020, reviews CRISPR and stem cell research, but nothing about physics and the solution to the energy dilemma. The research is going on, but it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. The idea for tonight's show from one of my hermetic students, who is also a colleague, let's call him Bob. Bob, are you listening? Bob is a futurist-savvy computer programmer, and he works for a high-tech corporation. He visited me one evening in a very despondent mood and wanted to unwind. And this time I was on the couch and he was sitting upright. Humanity is finished, he declared. They're going to turn us into robots, slaves. I knew that he had just been forced to receive his covid vaccination. I don't think I, I don't think the first two shots are going to make make you a hive drone or a homo roboticus. Uh the, the, they they'll wait for the next pandemic before they do that. To start separating homo technicus from homo roboticus. What are we going to do, Bob asked me? We can't fight them. Uh, our elections are rigged, and they have control of everything. But well, I said, let me think about it. So I thought about it for the rest of the evening, uh, and I woke up with a solution the next morning. If you can't beat them, join them, I told Bob the next time I saw him. We will transform ourselves into Homo Hermeticus. The whole futurist movement is a, herm- is a hermetical, hermetic magical program anyway, uh, led by a pack of, of the aesthetic progressive liberals. Genuine, God-fearing hermetic magicians should find their place in a transformed humanity and preserve the traditions of chivalry, individual sovereignty, and identity. Let me read something very interesting out of... Uh, out of Mark, out of Mark Zimmer's book. This this book, by the way, Mark Zimmer's The State of, of Science is 2020. This is the latest, and I expected a, a lot more out of this book than I got, because as I said, Zimmer does not deal with 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 the physics at all. He doesn't deal with the energy problem. All he's concerned with is is, is futurism, um, and uh, now. What I want to read is Ethical and Safety Challenges of Scientific Growth Authors and thinkers, including Ray Kurzweil and Bruno Yusani, suggest that science and technology are growing exponentially, while the structures of our society, government, education, economy, etc., are designed for predictable linear increases, which are dysfunctional. In today's exponential growth, this is why our nation state system can't deal with the challenges of modern science. The challenges presented by modern science, climate change, CRISPR, gene drives, and artificial intelligence are much larger than those brought about by the Industrial Revolution, steam engines and electricity. And that, yeah, that's what he does in the old yeah. Even if we find ways of globally regulating science, there will always be a country marketing itself as a place to do the research that is banned elsewhere. And it just takes one country pursuing a high-risk, high-profit path for all the other countries to follow. In fact, the nation-state growth economy that exists today requires that countries follow such paths to avoid falling behind. Many governments, including that of the United States, control research by intentionally not funding certain areas that are either dangerous or unethical or difficult to regulate. This technique doesn't work when foundations or startup companies fund the work. It also fails when the techniques and materials being used are inexpensive, as in the case of CRISPR. Uh, the government funding isn't necessary isn't needed. The amateur scientist uh, uh, the amateur. he said he says further on, he says that the, uh, the CRISPR is so simple that, that that high school students can use it for a science project. Uh, They've got to be pretty heavy pretty genius high school student. in the absence of clearer guidelines and regulations, scientists have to rely on themselves on their own scientific norms. This doesn't work too well in modern science because of the intensely competitive nature of academia, in which the drivers are about getting grants and publications and not necessarily about being a responsible citizens. Um, uh, Lenzos of King's College London specializes in biological threats. He specializes in biological threats. High-profile results matter, in addition, to prevent their competitors from knowing what they are what they are doing and prevent being scooped. Scientists keep their experiments under wraps until they are ready to publish. And what point? And at which point the cat is let out of the bag. And it is too late to think about the ethical impact of the work or to try to stop the research. Dual use research, which could be used for either good or ill, presents its own challenges to the safe and ethical regulation of global scientific research. Occasionally, scientists work their way to an invisible Dual use of research and cross it in response. Uh, now I'm going to skip. You got the gist of that. I want to skip skip a little bit here uh, and get to the get to the to the real shocker. Scientists, despite their desire to have inputs into policy related to their community's discoveries are not trained to anticipate the consequences of their research. And their solutions are often ineffective, as evidenced by the frequency of such transgressions and many assimilars. I don't know what an assimilar is. For example, in 2002, scientists from the State University of New York, Stony Brook synthesized a polio virus from scratch now that, 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 that that's bad enough, but then, in two thousand and five, researchers from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention that's the c that's our Cdc reconstructed a particularly virulent form of the nineteen eighteen flu virus. In 2012, two teams mutated the bird flu virus to make it more virulent, to make it more virulent in animals. And in 2017, a group from the University of Alberta resurrected horsepox virus, a close cousin of smallpox virus. And in 2018, CRISPR was used for the first time to create genetically modified human babies. Now, just let just let me just go back over that again. In 2005, researchers from the the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, that's our American CDC, which we all think is a government agency, it really isn't, it's a private agency which masquerades as a government agency, reconstructed a particularly virulent form of the 1918 flu virus. And if you don't know it, that's 10 times worse than COVID. Killed about 10 million people and ended World War One, And this, this has been even more virulent. But what if that had gotten loose? If that had gotten loose, most of us would be dead by now. Now, each of these experiments crossed the line and may have unforeseen consequences. And each led to an emergency conference. And each case leads us closer to the point at which one small accident or a well-placed malicious scientist can affect a large portion of the human population or even accidentally wipe out an entire species. In an interview with the Atlantic, Ed Yong, Kevin Esbelt, a CRISPR gene drive specialist expert, succinct, succinctly summarizes the problem. Science is built to ascend the tree of knowledge and taste its fruit. And the mentality of most scientists is that knowledge is always good. I just don't believe that that's true. There are some things that we are better off not knowing. On the other hand, we have to remember that some research, such as vitro fertilization, was once seen as a transgression of scientific norm that's now scientifically and socially acceptable. Yeah. I I wanted to read that because that is uh, we're all familiar with a with a certain individual, well, I'm not gonna name him, who uh has been on the hot seat for having uh you know, for uh having something to do with developing COVID with developing the COVID virus and uh and he he says well yeah yeah I, we i i and my colleagues we developed it to we basically to see if we could develop it or anybody could develop it uh but we're not but, but because we we did it hypothetically that doesn't mean that we that, that we actually did it <laughs> and of course People were questioning him, are flabbergasted. What are you, did did you do it or didn't you do it? Well, well, well. Yes and no. Uh, well, which which? Yes or no? No, he couldn't answer that. Uh, but then and then he told these people who were asking him the, asking him the questions that they uh, that they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> and and you know, and the same individual, the same individual that doing all this double talk has got a patent on the damn thing and I uh, uh, so uh, uh we we uh, uh where are we on this anyway I do think I do think though that that that, uh, that uh, answering Bob's question here you still with us Bob listening uh answering Bob's question yes if we can't if we can't whip them let's join them let's uh let's become uh if they're going to become homotechnicus uh and and uh, we have a choice between being homotechnicus and being homo roboticus or or groans in their hive uh, let's us be homo hermeticus let's take our hermetic logic our astrology and and our our uh, uh our magic let's let, let's take it in 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 into this uh into this world of the future and and uh, in this case uh writers like jack vance and clark ashton smith and jack vance will be will be predicting because both uh clark ashton smith and jack vance uh they they predicted a dying world in which magic in which the magicians would be the most powerful and magic and, and magic would be real because they had the power, and the world was dying. And in Clark Ashton Smith's case, this was so bleak, and, and in uh, Jack Vance it was called the dying earth. And out of this, by the way, out of out of the uh, Smith and 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 uh, and and Jack Vance rose a whole uh, game and a and a whole community called Dungeons and Dragons. And so what I'm suggesting is is that we go ahead and we become uh, we become Homo Hermeticus, and then we can play Dungeons and Dragons for real. I mean, <laughs> anyway, that's that, that's just about all I have to say on this fascinating subject. Uh, but uh, I'll be back next week. Uh, and uh, we got some very interesting material to discuss next week. And, and so uh will uh, see you then, and meanwhile, good magic.